In 2018, the University of Virginia, or UVA, Cavaliers were the number one seeded team out of 64 teams in the NCAA men's basketball tournament, often referred to as March Madness. And um, for those of you who are not as familiar with this tournament, uh, there are four regions um, out of these 64 teams. And in each region, uh, the teams are ranked from 1 to 16. And so in, in uh, UVA's region, they were the number one seeded team. And they faced, in the first round, the number 16 seed, which happened to be the UMBC Retrievers. And in the history of this tournament... There had never been a number 16 seed that had beaten a number one seed. So as UVA, who was ranked, you know, the top team in the entire tournament, were heading into this first round game, there was just no way that they were going to lose this game. I mean, they, they were predicted, um, they were a 20-point favorite over this other team. But then, they lost. They lost, and, and they didn't just lose by, you know, the, the, the last second. They, UMBC beat UVA by 20 points, 74 to 54. It was the biggest upset in this tournament of all time. It was this moment of just unexpected victory for UMBC that went into that game kind of just, I'm sure, assuming that they were going to lose, but it was a crushing defeat a crushing failure for UVA, who had all these expectations going into that tournament. Failure can be debilitating, especially when there are high expectations on you. Uh, over the past few weeks, we've been going through a sermon series called Eastertide, uh, looking at different moments when Jesus appeared to people after his resurrection. And one of the people that he appeared to was Simon Peter, uh, who had failed big time. Uh, during Jesus' last supper with his disciples, Jesus predicted that, that all of his disciples would desert him. But Peter, brash, bold Peter, proclaimed that although everyone else might do that, all of them would maybe fall away. He never would. And Jesus then told Peter that actually he was going to deny him three times that night. Peter denied. He, of course, that's never going to happen, Lord. But it did. Peter denied that he even knew Jesus, not just once, but three times. Peter failed Jesus in his hour of greatest need. And, and, and says that Peter went away and wept because of this failure, kind of like the UVA Cavaliers weeping after this experience of failure in that game. You can imagine that, that after Jesus rose from the dead, Peter, as he saw Jesus alive and risen, he must have been, I mean, overjoyed, but at the same time, maybe some fear and worry and wondering, how is Jesus going to come to him after what he did? After how he failed Jesus, Peter must have felt guilt and shame from his failure. But Jesus, he wanted to move Peter beyond that failure. And so Jesus, in our text we're going to see today, that, that Jesus meets Peter in a very personal way 
to address him because Jesus had big plans for Peter. Jesus had a great hope for what he wanted to use Peter with, but he needed to help Peter move through that experience of failure into what he had for him. So my sermon title this morning is Beyond Failure. We're going to look at how Jesus moves Peter beyond this failure that he experienced and how he does the same thing with us. And also, we will come back to that University of Virginia story a little bit later on. Some of you know what happened this past year, but uh, we'll see what what happened with that experience of failure as well. So our text today is um, from the Gospel of John. We've been going through these post-resurrection appearances in John's Gospel, and this actually is the final passage in John's Gospel. John chapter 21, we'll be reading verses 15 to 25. Uh, that, that is the way that John ends his gospel. So, John chapter 21, beginning with verse 15. When they had finished eating, we saw that last week, Jesus had breakfast with his disciples on the beach in the Sea of Galilee. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this moment, this intimate moment, Jesus, that you had with Peter. Let me pray that as, as, as we look into this passage that you would speak to us, God, of how you were helping Peter move through his failure and, and that you would do the same uh, in our lives, too. And so teach us, uh, give us ears to hear, Lord. Holy Spirit, um, speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. When we look at this um, encounter between Jesus and Peter, there are two primary things that Jesus does to move Peter beyond 
that failure of, of his denial of Christ. Um, and likewise, how he does the same with us. And so the first thing that he does with Peter, we're going to explain kind of how he does this in the text, is that Jesus helps us face our failure. Jesus helps us to face our failure. I don't know about you, but, but when, when I fail at something, I think oftentimes when we experience failure in our lives, a common response is, is to want to try to just cover over that failure in some way. Oftentimes we feel embarrassed uh, or guilty or ashamed. You know, it could be any kind of thing. It could be a, a failure just that you were trying to get, reach this goal and you didn't make it. Or, or sometimes it could be more of a moral failure, you know, a sin, a way that we fell in different ways. And, and the last thing that we often want to do when we experience one of those kinds of failures is to face the failure head on, to talk about it, to process what happened. We often just, we, we want to just kind of forget that it happened and move on to the next thing. We want to pretend that it never happened. One of the most difficult things about losing a game in sports, like I mentioned earlier with, uh, with UVA losing that, that game, is the post-game interview. When, when the coach or the players of that losing team are asked questions about their loss, about why they lost, about what happened. And, and it's always interesting to see how these interviews go. Some athletes, some coaches, they're willing to face you know, their own mistakes. They're willing to kind of talk about the ways that they fell short in the game and to acknowledge them. But there are other post-game interviews, and I was, I was looking on YouTube for this. There's a lot of them where you look at some of the ways that athletes or coaches respond, and they just they make excuses. They get angry at the reporter, right? They just kind of flare up against the press for, for bringing up this. Some of them just leave in the middle of the interview because they're so upset. They don't want to face what happened. I know when I make a mistake, I often want to just move on to forget about it. But to really move beyond our failures, to, to, to move beyond moments where we, where we sin, where we, or, or where we experience these kind of failures, means first facing what happened, being willing to, to, to dwell with it a little bit, to face it. We see this in our text where, where Jesus, he meets the disciples on the Sea of Galilee after his resurrection. And Jesus, as he enters into this, this moment with his disciples, he knows that Peter needs a specific encounter with him. Jesus knows that, that there's something going on with Peter, that, that he needs to have a moment with just him, that he needs help moving beyond this failure of denying Jesus. And so in our text, when Jesus approaches Peter, he doesn't just ignore what happened. He doesn't just kind of brush Peter's failure under the rug and just kind of say, hey, Peter, what's up, you know? How are you doing? No. The way that Jesus encounters Peter helps Peter face his failure so that he will then be able to move beyond it. How do we see that? How does Jesus help Peter face his failure? Well, the first thing that we see in our text is that Jesus asks Peter three times whether he loves him. And, and verse 17 says, Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Why was Peter hurt the third time? 
Part of it might have been just that Jesus keeps asking him the same question. But there's something significant about the fact that Jesus asks him how many times? Three times. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. And so Jesus, as he asks him three times, he's, you can imagine Peter bringing to mind that at each time, as he denied Jesus time and time again, it brings back to his mind his failure. And the question that Jesus even asks Peter, do you love me, Peter? also calls into question Peter's love and devotion for Jesus. It must have reminded Peter that, that in that moment, when he was asked if he knew Jesus, he didn't show a lot of love to Jesus. He even denied that he even knew him. And so, in some ways, it's a fair question for Jesus to ask. Peter, you, you denied that you even knew me. Do you really love me? You can imagine the pain that Peter must have felt as he stood before the one whom he had denied, as Jesus asks him three times whether he truly loves him. Now, why would Jesus do this? I mean, why would he remind Peter of his failure? Why would he ask him this question and have him and do it three times in this way? Because we can't fully heal from our failures or move beyond them until we face and acknowledge them. We can't fully heal from them. We can't fully move beyond them until we're willing to, to face them. I was listening um, a couple weeks ago to an episode of This American Life, which is a radio show on um, NPR, that in, in, in this show, it talked about a public apology that a TV writer, Dan Harmon, gave last year. Dan Harmon was the creator of a show called Community, uh, which is an NBC comedy about a group of adults going to community college that, that um, you know, was several years back. But it was a very popular show at the time, and, and he was the one that created it and was kind of the head of the show. But while he was the head of this show, there was one female writer on his staff named Megan Gans, who he just showed particular favoritism for constantly. And, and, and in, this, uh, in an interview, he, he acknowledged that the reason he showed this favoritism was because he was attracted to her, although he didn't really want to admit that to himself. And so eventually, though, he got to a point where he, he shared his feelings with this, this female writer, Megan Gans, and she turned him down. And said, this is inappropriate. You're my boss, you know. Um, so she just said, no thanks. But the way he responded to that was that then he began to treat her horribly. You know, he, he had showed favoritism to her. Now he just kind of treated her, you know, he said horrible things to her. And, and, and he tried to rationalize this in his own mind, that, that there was nothing really wrong going on here. And, and eventually, you know, he actually got fired from that show and came back later. But, but so when he was no longer working with this, this female writer, he just sort of in his mind said, all right, that was kind of a, a mistake and I'm just going to kind of move on with, with my life. I'm going to move on to, to bigger and better things. And he, he acknowledged that he felt kind of bad about things, but, but he never acknowledged what he had done to her or, what, or how that had actually affected her. Then at the end of 2017... 
Uh, you may remember that around that time is when all of these stories broke around sexual harassment. Um, and the Me Too movement came, you know, Harvey Weinstein and, and these other, um, you know, big profile name people were, were kind of taken down because of their behavior. And, and Dan Harmon, in the wake of all of this, actually acknowledged that he had been kind of guilty of this too, that he had abused his power dynamic at work. And so he actually wrote a, a tweet out on Twitter about, about this. And Megan, that female writer, responded to the tweet. And she said, care to be more specific? And so Dan, kind of hearing this response from her, uh, you know, he, he felt taken aback and but he reached out to her and, and, and he told her you know, how, how deeply sorry he was for what he had done. But he realized what, you know, what he really wanted to do was just move past this very quickly. He wanted her to just forgive him so that he could feel better about himself. And, but she, didn't, she wasn't willing to do that. She was very hurt. She'd been very affected by, by what had happened, this whole dynamic. And, and she kind of was honest about that with him. And so what this did for Dan... Harmon was that he began to go through a process of thinking through how to actually take responsibility for what he had done, to acknowledge how his actions had affected her, and to be willing to face whatever consequences might come from a full admission of what he'd done. And so he actually, on, he, he has a podcast, and he, he gave a public apology specifically to her and about the specifics of what he had done. And he did this on his podcast. And, and, and Megan, the woman who, this writer, she was blown away when she listened to that podcast. She said, this is what she said after hearing the apologies. She said, it was cathartic in a way that I could have never imagined. It was like receiving the antidote to a poison I'd been self-inflicting. She had been so crushed and broken by, by, by the way that he had treated her. And, and all of a sudden, him acknowledging actually what he had done and how it had affected her, it just it, it transformed her. She thanked Dan via a text message and then also forgave him publicly on Twitter. That never happens, <laughs> right? I mean, that never happens in our culture. The, the, the woman who was sharing the story on This American Life, Nancy Updike, she concluded the story by saying this. She said, Dan's apology worked partly because he finally took a risk. He admitted to things that if Megan had wanted, she probably could have used against him. Lawyers advised him not to say those things that he says. He says this on the podcast. By admitting them openly... He chose her well-being over his own comfort, maybe for the first time in their whole relationship. A lot of people just aren't willing to do that. Dan Harmon was willing to face his failure. He had failed. He had sinned. He had hurt this this writer of, of his, and he was willing to face that, as hard as that was, because he wanted to move beyond it. When we try to run away from our failures, or, or explain them away, or, or, or deny them, or downplay them, we can't actually move beyond them to the place where God wants to take us. 
And so this is why Jesus helps Peter face his failure, because he wants to bring Peter beyond this failure, to to put it fully behind him, to say, Peter, I have something so much more glorious for you. But you need to face this, what happens, so that you can receive forgiveness and move beyond. In, In a letter that John wrote, 1 John, Chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, very familiar verses. We read, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When we are unwilling to admit our sin and our failures, John says that, We deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. We're living a lie. But he says that when we are willing to face those things, to acknowledge them before God, when we confess our sins, are we condemned? No. We are forgiven. We're cleansed. We're purified from all unrighteousness. You see, Jesus, when he brings this up with Peter, he's not interested in condemning Peter. And he's also, if you notice, he doesn't tell Peter, you know, Peter, you messed up over here and you need to make amends for that. You need to to work this off some way. You need to do some penance. You need to do some community service. You need to show me that you're really repentant. No, out of pure grace, Jesus forgives Peter restores him, and even calls him to lead and to serve. And that's the second way that we see Jesus helping Peter move beyond his failure, and the way he moves us beyond our failures is that Jesus restores us and calls us to serve. Jesus restores us and calls us to serve. You can hit that next slide, Amy. You can hit that next slide. Um, Each time that Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Peter responds by saying, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And each time, Jesus gives Peter a response saying, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, and finally feed my sheep. Notice that, that Jesus, he doesn't reject Peter He doesn't tell him that that his failure has disqualified him from serving, but Jesus actually calls Peter to shepherd his sheep, to take care of them, to feed them. Here, Jesus, he's he's using a metaphor, an image, right? He's not talking about literal sheep here. He's talking about people, about his followers. Jesus calls Peter to spiritually feed and care for Jesus' followers. I think sometimes when we experience failure, we can feel like it's all over. You know, we we think, I'm no longer worthy to serve. I'm no longer worthy to serve God. I'm no longer worthy to be used by him. And Satan, what he wants us to do when when we experience failure is that he wants us to get trapped in guilt and shame and defeat and condemnation and to say, you know what? We just feel crushed by what, we, what happened. And we just say, I, I, can't, I can't move on. But Jesus doesn't want us to... He, he brings us face to face with our failure. But then as he does, he says, you're forgiven. 
You're cleansed. You're restored. And actually, I still want to use you. We can get trapped in guilt and shame and discouragement. And what happens is we become very inward focused where we pull back from God. We, we pull back from serving him. And, and Jesus reassures Peter, Peter, it's not over. Your failure hasn't disqualified you from serving me. In fact, Jesus says, take your eyes off of yourself, Peter. Stop worrying about how worthy you are because I am calling you to still be my shepherd, my under-shepherd. By taking the focus off of himself and onto serving others, Peter is able to move beyond his failure. That, that historic loss that I mentioned earlier by UVA, um, in the post-game interview, which I said that can be a very uncomfortable thing sometimes for coaches or players to face, UVA's coach, Tony Bennett, showed a lot of class in reflecting on this historic loss. He acknowledged in the interview that, that they had been outplayed by UMBC, that they, they, they just had not played as well. And he said, I told the guys, this is life. This can't define you. You enjoyed the good times, and you got to be able to take the bad times. When you step into the arena, the consequences can be historic losses, tough losses, great wins, and you have to deal with it. One of the star players on the team, Kyle Guy, said, one thing this team is really good at and built on is resiliency. I think bouncing back from something that's so heartbreaking will be a huge key for us. So UVA, you know, Coach Bennett and the Cavaliers, they faced this this incredible failure of what had happened, their hopes crushed. But they didn't get stuck there. They bounced back this past season to again claim a number one seed in the tournament. They were a number one seed in one of the regions. And in their first game, as they faced a new 16 seed, in that first game, they actually trailed by as many as 14 points in the first half. You can imagine that team starting to get nervous. Like, is this going to be a repeat of what happened last year? They're down by 14 points in the first half. But in the second half, they came back to win that first game. And game after game throughout the tournament, they kept winning until they went on to win the entire tournament. They went from losing in the first round, 2018, to winning. There you can see the elation on one of the players' faces. In an article written after this win, this, the UVA's win, sports writer Roger Sherman wrote this. He says, The Cavaliers' national championship will forever remain linked with their loss to UMBC the previous year. Those two moments explain each other and magnify each other. Virginia's 2018 catastrophe is no longer a mark of shame for the team's players, coaches, and fans, just an unerasable part of a unique story. Nobody has ever been in the valley that Virginia fell into. The Cavaliers climbed out and smiled. Peter's denial of Christ will always be remembered as part of his story. 
Whenever we think of Peter, we'll, we'll, we, we'll think of that fact that he denied Christ three times, that, that the cock crowed, and, and, and he failed Jesus in his moment of need. And yet, this moment in our text today is also part of Peter's story. This moment where Jesus restores him, forgives him, and calls him beyond this failure. And just a couple weeks later, on the day of Pentecost, Peter, this guy who massively failed Jesus, stood up before a crowd of people in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and he preached a sermon where 3,000 people became believers that day. And Peter went on to become probably the most influential leader in the church in those following years. He followed through with Jesus' command to take care of Jesus' flock that, that Jesus gave him. But to get to that place, to get to the Peter that we know of in the book of Acts, Jesus needed to move him beyond his failure. To move him to face it, to be forgiven and cleansed, and then to move beyond. In verse 18, Jesus makes this very interesting and kind of cryptic statement about Peter's future. He says this, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And then John makes this, this side comment in verse 19, where he says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. So Jesus, in, in this moment with Peter, he tells him that he is going to be led somewhere where he doesn't want to go when he's much older. That he would be led to give his life for his faith in Christ. A death that, as John says, would glorify God. Now, although this, to us, would, sounds kind of like a sad and somber note, right? a kind of a sad and somber prediction, Peter, by the way, you're going to die. You know, you're gonna, this is going to happen to you. I think to Peter, this actually might have sounded like good news to him. Because remember that, that at Jesus' Last Supper, Peter said to Jesus, I will be willing to give my life for you, Jesus. Everybody else, they'll forsake you, but I won't. I'll stay with you, even to the point of death. But when the time came, Peter, he didn't do that. He wasn't even willing to acknowledge that he knew Jesus. But with these words that Jesus says about Peter, he's basically telling him, Peter, you said you would give your life for me. You failed before, but now I'm restoring you. And I know that when the time comes for you to stand up for me, you won't fail the next time. It's going to cost you your life, but I know that you will remain faithful to the end. You, Peter, your life is going to glorify God. And that's exactly what happened. When the time came, Peter was willing to give his life for his faith in Christ. Tradition tells us that Peter was crucified just like Jesus, under the Roman emperor Nero. And we're not sure if this is true or not, but there's, again, a tradition that says that, that actually Peter asked to be crucified upside down because he felt that he was unworthy to die in the same way as his Lord. Jesus led Peter beyond his failure to the point where Peter was willing to lay down his life for his faith, just as Jesus had laid down his life 
for Peter on the cross. At the end of verse 19, Jesus tells Peter, follow me. These are the exact same words that that Jesus said to Peter at the very beginning when he first called Peter to follow him as one of his disciples, when he called him away from, from fishing. And here Jesus is again, after all that's happened, saying, Peter, come follow me. Follow me to where I'm going to take you. Follow me beyond your failure. Follow me into the things where I'm bringing you. And Peter did. He followed Jesus all the way to his own cross, moving beyond those past failures into glorifying God, even to the point of death. Now, I just want to acknowledge here that, that Peter, he was not perfect. And even after this moment, Peter still had some moments of failure. We see this um, where, where Peter actually had a hard time embracing the fact that salvation was for Gentiles and that it was okay for him to eat in fellowship with Gentiles. And, and Paul even rebuked Peter about separating himself from Gentiles. So, so Peter, it's not as if after this moment he never failed again. But Jesus continued to forgive him and to restore him, and he continued to use him and to call him. And guess what? He wants to do the same with us today. So here we are today. We've all failed in different ways. We've messed up, we've sinned in in little ways and sometimes even in big ways. And maybe Jesus is calling you today to face your failure, to acknowledge it, because he wants to move you beyond it. Maybe he's calling you to to stop making excuses like like Dan Harmon had been, or blaming others, or just trying to ignore this, but he's wanting you to actually own your mistakes, to acknowledge them, maybe even to do something about that. Acknowledging, and as we heard in 1 John, confessing our sin is the first step toward healing. And maybe Jesus is asking you that question that he asked Peter. Do you truly love me? Maybe he's calling you to put your love for him into action by serving him in some way. Maybe he's wanting to reassure you that that your past failures don't disqualify you. That actually stepping into serving him might be a part of you moving beyond those failures in the same way that it was for Peter. So whatever it may be, whatever, wherever God may be saying to you, I want you to hear that last call here. Follow me. Jesus is saying, you f- follow me. Beyond your failures, follow me. Beyond your sin, follow me beyond whatever may be blocking you. And as he calls us to follow him, he will lead us there. Let's pray. Jesus, we acknowledge that we, that we often have failed you in different ways. And we have, we've experienced, some of us have experienced failure in our lives and in things that we've tried to do and it's, it's crippled us. Maybe it's paralyzed us because of it or, or moments where we, where we have turned our back on you, where we have fallen into temptation into sin. And, and Lord, in these moments, we hear Satan's accusations saying that, we, that we're finished, 
that, that, that you're done with us. That, but we thank you, God, that your voice is louder to say no, that you have taken our sin upon yourself, Jesus, on the cross. You paid for it in full. And so we can be forgiven and cleansed as we confess our sin, as we acknowledge our failure, and that you, you have great things in store for us, Lord, that you want to bring us beyond our failures, that you have a, a UVA story for us, Lord. You have a story like Peter's. And so we pray that you'd give us that hope to trust you as you call us to follow you, Lord, into whatever it may be that you're calling us into, even if that means death, even if that means great loss, but that we would go trusting, Lord, that you'll be with us, you'll equip us in your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.